This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Ask Rabbi Yom Tov. Uh, welcome everybody. Happy to have you all here. And um, we've got a couple people who are without cameras on, uh, on um, Zoom. So uh, feel free to turn on your cameras and be interactive with me. Uh, otherwise, I'm going to quit. <laughs> Thank you so much. Hey, Ole, long time. How you been? Nice to see you. Yeah. Good to see you, too. It's yeah. a lovely honor. Yeah. So I, I felt like um, my teachings that I'd been giving over every day for years now, um, I felt like I kind of stopped doing it. And um, so I, I realized I want to get back into it. So I thought maybe we'd do the Ask Rabbi Yom Tov type of uh, setup. Um, but... But I'm only going to do it if it's interactive, you know. Like I, I want to be interacting with people. I don't. I, just talking into a lens, you know. You got to pay it's me. The weirdest. You you, you got to pay me to talk into a lens, and I'm not sure how much, because I'll probably quit after two days of talking into a lens. It's the weirdest feeling. It's honestly, it's it's so unnatural. It's so unnatural. Yeah, I still don't get it. Yeah. But it's a lot better not being totally isolated. Can you imagine if this, uh, if this, uh, if this virus came in at a time where we didn't have technology, like a hundred years ago? A hundred years ago, you'd have like uh, the Spanish flu or whatever. I'd be, I'd be like, I'd probably become a great Torah scholar because I would have nothing to do but study. Nothing to do. You go in a cave and learn all day. There's nothing to do. Okay, so let's do some questions. Anyone on Facebook, you can always send in questions. Uh, everyone not on Facebook, we have a chat. So if you're embarrassed to ask or whatever, you can always just send it in the chat. So, uh, uh, Oleg, you got a question? Got to think about your questions. Here. Uh, yeah, I, I, I've been struggling with this idea that uh, the timing of this event seems uh, perfect. Um, and everything from the creator's eyes is perfect, but but obviously this this is coming together. I happen to live in Soho, so we've experienced a, an additional amount of chaos as it relates to the looting and and sort of the social unrest that's happening throughout the country. Mm-hmm. And I always go back to this thought that it's not about pointing fingers that they should have done something. It's about what I could have done, right? Or what we could have done as a nation of Israelites to possibly have prevented this. Um, And so I'm curious, Rabbi, for your opinion as to what that something could have been, what we could have done to either eliminate the chaos or prevent it or just handle it better now that it's already happening. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So, so I've got a lot of thoughts on the um, on what's been going on here. Um, one of them is that it's it seems most likely that the uh, that the reason they would be working on manufacturing viruses is for war. I imagine. I don't know why chi- China and the U.S. would be in cahoots on such a thing. That seems strange to me because they're not supposed to be such good friends. That they, I mean, I can understand them working with each other for Amazon or something, you know, that we can get our products in two days and stuff. But, but working together to, for, um, I, I, you know, the truth is, I, now that I'm discussing it, I'm starting to realize that I have no idea what that laboratory was for exactly in Wuhan. Um, virology. No, I know it was for virology, but why? Why would they be? Why, why would they be playing around with bats and 
all that kind of stuff, like trying to figure out viruses. It doesn't make a ton of sense to me if not for chemical, if not for uh, what is that biological warfare? Biological so, warfare. I don't understand why. And if they were, if it was for biological warfare, what are China and U.S. doing in cahoots over biological warfare? But I guess maybe, maybe it was some kind of pact they had made that they would work on that together. But, and by the way, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent convinced that it's man-made this virus, but it is a strange one. It's also, it seems to be less charged all of a sudden. Viruses don't get weaker. Yeah, they get stronger. That's Now, for some reason in this wave, less people are dying. It's, it's hitting in a weaker way. You know, um, someone told me, a scientist today told me uh, that they found particulates of other things in it, you know, from the labs. You know, like, like there was particulates of AIDS in there and particulates of, of SARS, uh, that other SARS bird flu. I, but again, I don't know anything about, I don't know if that's true. I mean, this, this guy, who knows where his science came from that he heard that. Um, but the, that's not my discussion. My discussion is, is warfare in general is how do we look at it? And how do we look at our, how, how do we look at cloning? Like, how do we look at messing with things? You know, God gave us a world. Science has done a great job at describing the world, but they've also gone to, sometimes it's too far. Sometimes it's taking things apart in a way that's unnatural, you know, and there's, and they even, uh, even the industrial revolution can go too far without the, all the science. For example, the, um, thank you, Hana. She, it's called the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Um, by the way, Hana, feel free to type in why, if you know why they were, the U.S. and China were working together there, I'd be interested to know what their goal was. Um, and, or why they even have a Institute of Virology. Um, anyway, um, you know, just the, just the, the urban sprawl has massive impacts on, on things and on environment and on species and, and the whole food chain gets messed up if you lose a species somewhere and, um, and then all of a sudden you get too much of something else because the, they used to, the species that died needed to eat that stuff and, and basically, man uh, overly overly exerting himself on on creation manipulating too much so and the nuclear uh, nuclear nukes is the similar thing is that is that someone created the ability to to create nuclear fission that might have been a clean use of energy that would be take minimal amount to power a whole city compared to the dirty you know coal or whatever um but, you know, t leave it for man to, like, attach it to a warhead. Anyway, in 2015, it says the w uh, Wuhan Institute of Virology National Biosafety Laboratory was completed at a cost of 300 million, uh, I don't know how to say yawn, I don't know how to say that, $44 million in collaboration, in collaboration with the French government called Siri Lab and was the first built in mainland China. The establishment mm -hmm. of the laboratory was partially funded by the U.S. government and took over a decade to complete from its conception in 2003. The laboratory has strong ties to Galveston National Library in the University of Texas. It also has strong... It also has strong ties to Canada's National Microbiology Laboratory. 
um, and they were paid uh, the sci- two scientists, I can't pronounce their names, that's a husband and wife who were remunerated by the Canadian government were escorted from the Canadian lab for undisclosed reasons. <laughs> so apparently they were in the Canadian lab and were escorted out of there for undisclosed reasons. Okay, I don't know. Anyway, but Oleg, we have um, we have people messing with stuff, and um, and a part of that might have had something to do with the rights as well, because the because the 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 rights people who didn't have financial padding were hurt particularly bad by. Uh, particularly bad by, by the COVID-19. And the inner city world, which, is, which can often be, you know, a real, you know, crime, you know, center to begin with, where people are not, you know, going within the normal moral standards of tr- the c- civil trust, which can never be downplayed. You know, you know, we are all, I mean, at least before 9-11, we all lived with a certain amount of trust for one another. You know, I used to, I, you guys probably can't imagine this, but I used to get on planes to surf around the world. And um, if I surfed, let's say Hawaii, which was part of the U.S. officially, at least, the, um, they, I never came in with more than a plane ticket. They didn't even ask for my driver's license. Can you imagine flying without even showing ID? I used to fly to Hawaii every winter on like, you know, we used to use uh, cheap tickets Sometimes I had a Chinese name. They didn't even look, you know, at a Chinese name because they, someone at, who works in Pearl Harbor, a soldier in Pearl Harbor gets cheap tickets to the mainland. You know, they had a whole business set up with the surfers to get us cheap tickets to, to Hawaii. And um, it, we lived in an age of trust. And I remember my first flight after 9-11, I was in line uh, for this. You know, remember you had to show up like you had to show up like 24 hours in advance to deal with TSA. And, and I remember, um, going through there and in front of me was this beautiful African woman with like a beautiful headdress. And she was clearly a very righteous lady, you know, like very shining countenance. And behind her was this Hasidic rabbi, me, and we're getting grilled. Like we both just, you know, blew up the twin, the world trade center, the way they were grilling us. And I looked at the lady, she looked at me like, oh my gosh. And she said, um, yeah, she said to me, I said to her, I said, that is the biggest price of 9-11, besides the human life, was trust. The distrust. And so that social trust is a super important, um, you know, it's an unspoken agreement that we're going to not do certain things. and We're going to pay for our products. So that stuff doesn't exist as strongly in the, in the inner cities. And with Corona... It's, um, you know, so you got man manipulating stuff, Corona hits. And by the way, even if you want to say it's from the wet market in Wuhan, it's still it man, matter. man manipulating stuff because what do they, why are people eating these things? You know, what's that? Eating bats. What, what, what are we eating bats for? And, and if you, if you're some caveman who eats bats, fine, but don't bring it to the market. <laughs> They eat bats, they eat anything that moves, bats, scorpions, snakes, all kinds of stuff. They have no whatever concept. Anyway, the, um, but, but all of this has led to the looting and the, and the further destruction that we're facing. What's interesting to me is the breath thing, and I'm actually doing an entire 
um, I'm doing, a, this will be a little plug for my Sundays with Yom Tov, is there's a breath thing that, that we started with. We didn't even just start with Corona. There was something even before Corona about breath. Because um, remember, the I can't breathe is the riots. That's the protest. I can't breathe. Corona attacks the lungs. And there was one more lung-oriented thing that happened before that. Someone remembers something last winter that had to do with lungs in the world. Uh, oh, the Amazon is this year has been with the year that Brazil, you know, really fell on the job of protecting the Amazon. And, and to this day, there are fires that are out of control. And, the, and they've been taking the Brazilian president to task over this. But the but that they what do they call the Amazon the lungs of the planet? So on yes. the on the year that they hey Barish what's up? I'd love to see your face even for a second to say shalom. Um, the, the on the year you guys put this together. Oh, you ever thought about this? You you've seen it in the news though, right? The, what's been going on in the Amazon? Right. It's all part of 2020. Right. 2020. Now they've been burning rainforest for decades, but twenty twenty is the year that it like went over the top and the world got like, you know, watch much more watchdoggy about the whole thing. And, um, so we start with what they call the lungs of the planet. That's the Amazon. And then, and then immediately man messing around with the world, uh, manipulating the world, uh, in ways that aren't appropriate. We get, um, the, uh, coronavirus, which attacks the lungs. And then, and then the then the whole world turns to pot over these riots, and um, you know, meaning like where you're from, Oleg, and where I grew up in in L.A. I grew up right next to Santa Monica. It's gone. It's gone. It looks like so. You know, it looks like uh, you know, like uh, Fifth Avenue. And so, and the. Um, Anyway, so the, so all this disaster comes all about breath. So breath has to do with desire. In Kabbalah, check this out, the lungs represent desire, and the vocal cords represent emotion. The exits of the mouth represent the intellect. So let's think about this for a second. Emotion, uh, sorry, desire, emotion, intellect. So you want to see how that works? Pretty cool how it works. So check this out. If you really like, if you really like have a strong desire for something, you'll be, you're, you breathe, you know, or you, you get in the word inspire means to put air in the lungs, right? Wow. Oh. So, so like when, when desire hits, Hey Alicia, when desire hits, <coughs> uh Oh, break out a thermometer. So, when desire hits, yeah, it's, it's lungs like that. Like, wow, I care. I care a lot about this. Okay. That's like, when you care about something deeply, you're, you're going to take an air and say it, you know, like, let's say you see someone's kid chasing a ball into the street between two parked cars. Yeah. You're going to breathe in before you're going to say something. Right. But it's not your kid. What if it's your kid? So you're also going to breathe deep to scream something out, but you'll hear in the voice, it'll be a different pitch if it's your kid, because there's so much emotion involved. Meaning that what was fear 
regular fear for someone else's kid, for your own kid, has turned to absolute fright. Because your whole life's now flashing between before your eyes. So you'll always hear in someone's voice emotion. And people who are good at uh, reading voices, like, for example, investigators, judges, you know, people in courts, um, therapists who are really good, um, you're listening to to the affect with an A, to the, how much emotion is involved in the in the person you're speaking to. Is they, are they? You know, some people are disconnected emotionally, and you they could be talking about heavy stuff, but they're not relating. Or you'll see them smiling, and you'll hear no emotion in their voice. They're smiling, and they're now. What's the mouth have to do with the intellect? Well, think about it. When you make sound, it starts in the lungs. Because, oh, by the way, you're not going to say nothing if you don't desire to say it, right? You don't say nothing until you want to. So that's desire. But good luck speaking without breathing first. You can't do it. The vocal cords only play their song on the exhale, which means you're going to need an inhale to send the, send the, uh, the air through the reeds, which is the emotions, which then, but, but you got to break up the sound. Listen to me, I'm breaking up sound now. Well, how am I supposed to do that? So I have to have something to say. My intellect's got something to say. And via my intellect, I'm going to cut the sound up, which is what I'm doing right now. I'm cutting sound. And I'm going to slice and dice the sound with my five exits of my mouth, which are the guttural, the palate, the teeth, the lips, and the tongue, which are the f- called the five exits of the mouth, which are connected to the five final letters of Hebrew, which are the channels through which the 22 letters do all their calculations into our world. So, so you're built of all this because the crown sphera, the first of the, the tree of life, the crown sphera is called desire. That's the lungs. Okay, That's the crown sphera. That's the lungs. And the intellect is called chokhma bina das, chabad, chokhma bina das. That's the intellect. And then the, the emotions are chesed and gavur. Yeah, and tiferes. It's really chesed and gavur, which are the emotions. Chesed is love, and, and gavur is fear. Those are the emotions, love and fear. Okay? They, the rabbis teach that tiferes, the middle, is also um, the emotion of pride, or the opposite. Yeah, of... Uh, of, you know, false pride, which is the, you know, Gentile version of humility to think you're no one. Yeah, that's, that's the false pride. So, okay, remember that the Gentile version of humility, false pride, is spitting in God's face. Like every time a Gentile goes into that I'm nothing business, they're spitting in the face of their maker. Oh, God made nothing? Can you imagine being God? Well, th- thank you very much. You know. Just spit in the face. God made you awesome. Anyway, so I don't know if you guys were tuned in earlier, but I spoke about the crown uh, at the beginning of Corona because the, that, that is God's desire for the creation, is the keter, is the desire for creation, meaning the, meaning the attribute called crown is where the 13 attributes of mercy come from. Why? Because God wanted to create a world. <clears throat> but what's the problem with a world? People will sin. And then they'll, they'll destroy the world he created. So you can't, it's great that God wanted to create the world. That's Keter, Keter is wanting. It's great God wanted to, but the world will dis, be destroyed by sin. 
So what did God do? He created, with the desire, 13 attributes of mercy where God will, will basically forgive humanity as they sin and keep the things going. Meaning you can basically walk all over him. He's like a king who snuck into his own party before it began at the palace, dressed up as one of the, you know, just a regular uh, commoner, only to find that everyone's talking badly about the king inside the party. So they're all at the king's party. They don't realize it's the king. He's in makeup and a costume. And they, they, everyone at the party is speaking badly about the king because they don't realize they're talking to the king. Oh. And, and so we're all at the... We are, you are always at the king's party, by the way. So you want to guard your, 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 your mental real estate. Yeah, no loose clicking on the internet. Okay, Guard your mental real estate. Guard your tongue. Guard your ears, what you're willing to hear. The, uh, you're, at the, you're in the king's palace. And you want to be very sensitive and tread lightly in the king's palace. Now, um, <clears throat> uh, anyway, but back to the crown. So, so desire in Hebrew is the word ratzon. And that's where you learn. I'm, I'm giving you little excerpts of my Sunday with Yom Tov seminar. So the, it's called, the whole seminar is called The Purpose of Desire. The purpose of desire. And because the whole creation is made of that. You know, the Brooklyn Bridge is made of desire. People want to get from Brooklyn to New York quick, to Manhattan quicker. So the, everything's made. There's nothing that you can ever point to. Your own flesh is made of the desire of your parents for each other. Like, nothing is made without desire. And, and you, you, nothing happens in your life before the desire to have it happen. So, um, anyway, but that's going to be a whole seminar that, please God, is going to be interesting for everybody. It's four weeks. It's a whole series. And I've already got all the bu bullet points. Yeah. I'm sorry. Is it also will? That's the same word. Will. Same word. Will, yeah. Hebrew has, um, Hebrew really distinguishes desire. In Hebrew, there's over 20 words for desire. It's weird. It's like Eskimos and snow. Judaism and desire. Why? Because you're talking about the essence of creation. Yeah, desire is the essence of the whole thing. So we've got tons of words. Um, I'm, I had a list running. I don't know if I still have that. Oh, I got Facebook Live going on. I can't check now. But um, I have a list going. Um, you know, but some of those words are, um, you probably didn't know some of them, like uh, Yoel, which is a name, Joel. Yoel is... Uh, Want that's where Moses wanted to stay with his, you know, marry Yocheved and stay in Midian. Yeah, Vayoel Moshe and Moshe wanted to stay. Okay, and um, um, Ava, Ava, and uh, Tushuka, and uh, Ratzon, we mentioned, and uh, uh, Kesef, right? Nixov, Nixavti. Yeah, Nixof, Nixafti, Kesef, is I greatly desired. And word after word after word, we have so many of these words. Um, uh, anyway, the so so the word the word Ratzon though is the key of all of them, and that's the word Ratz, which is motivation. So like I'm a motivational speaker, <laughs> and so and so the root of desire is the root word to run. Well, what does it mean to run? You, you ain't running anywhere unless you've got heavy motivation, right? 
The only thing's getting you to run any, anywhere is going to be, you know, you, you want something badly, you'll run for it. You know, and what, what's the problem with, what's the problem with most uh, millennials today? They don't know what they want. Most millennials don't know what they want. And so they're not running anywhere. So they're just smoking their, smoking their, their legal cannabis, you know, which is a motivational killer. And they're, um, and they're just, you know, that no one's running anywhere over there. You know, they're just sitting on their smartphones. You know, Corona was a great excuse to never look away from their smartphone. And, and so in the corner smoking pot. Right. And so ruts. So think about it. The word run and desire are the same exact root. So you're only going to run for something you want. And and the uh, and yet. You know, if you if you don't know what you want, you know, or you've been wanting the wrong things or you <laughs> I'm doing a whole commercial for my seminar or you want the wrong things or you, this isn't, I mean, it's not for a couple of weeks. I think it's in two weeks because we got to market it first. But if you want the wrong things or, or you want stuff your dad wants and it's not even what you want, you know, and, and, but you've been spent, you just spent the last 20 years under his, uh, you know, his ideas of what one should want, which may not even be what you want. And so, yeah, it, it's not a, not a simple matter, this whole, uh, this whole desire business, not simple at all. And, um, uh, but what, what happens is in, so now back to Corona is the word for desire is Ratzon. And Ratzon is Reish is 200. Tzadik's 90. That's 290. Vav is six. That's 296. And Nun is 50. That's 346. Yeah. 356, 346. So I was thinking, well, what else is 346? So the answer is Mashiach's 346. How do you know Mashiach's 346? Not the word Mashiach. How do you know? Because every, three times a day, today we said it four times because of Musaf and Rosh Chodesh, three times a day we say, Umevi Goel, and God's going to bring a redeemer, yeah? Leave Nevenehem to their children's children. Lema'an what? For the sake of Shmo, his name. Now, I'm not going to give you a whole Kabbalah class why Mashiach's for the sake of his name. You guys were thinking Mashiach was for world peace or something, you know. Uh, you know, mm. brothers will walk hand in hand. No one will feel afraid, you know. It's going to be, you know, that too. You'll get that too, but that's not the point. The point of it all was Lema'an Shmoi. Well, I'll give you a little, I'll give you one line of Kabbalah about it. Is that the whole world's made of Hashem's names. And those names, you can't see them since Adam and Eve ate from the fruit. You can't see them. So what do you see instead? You see a lighter. You see, you know, you see, uh, you know, an iPhone. You see an iPhone cable. You don't see the name. Yeah. And so, you know, you see lemonade, you know, but where's the name? So you don't see the name. So, so God's, God, so to speak, is in exile in our world. And he's going to bring a redeemer, Laman Shamo, so that his name can be reunited with our world, so that you can see through the matrix of creation and see God's name in everything. And then no one's going to murder nobody in Brooklyn because they, uh, in New York City, no one's going to get murdered. You, know, heard any, you heard how many murders there were in the last weekend? What the hell is going on in that country? So, so, so you're not going to kill a guy when you're when he's turned into the matrix of God's names up and down him. 
You know, you're going to see his names up and down the guy. You're not going to kill. That's killing God. You're not going to kill God. And you're not going to take their stuff because it's their stuff. And you, you don't take people's stuff. So, cool, I'm talking Kabbalah and a guy named Yechezkel Yosef Abulafia got on the phone. Hey, I think that's my student from Tzfat. Is that you from Tzfat? I won't say your English name. Um, anyway, so, so the, uh, so Shmo, check out, what's, what's it all for? Laman Shmo, how do you say Shmo? How do you spell Shmo? Shin, 300. Mem, 40. Nun, uh, Vav, 6, 346. Hmm. So desire, Ratzon, the whole point of creation, the ultimate, the Keter attribute, the attribute of the crown of creation is Ratzon, desire. And the numerical value of Shemo have the same numerical value. So here we were in Corona, the whole world got shut down. And I was at, I was saying Aleinu L'Shabeach, and I said the words, and when I went down to my knees, not on the floor, because, you know, we only do that on Rosh Hashanah, but I, you bend your knees for Anaknukorim, and then you bow for Mishtachavim. So I go, Anaknukorim, and I thought to myself, oh my gosh, God has brought the whole world down to their knees through this crown. You, know, you understand? Through the Ratzon. And what's the virus called? Corona, the crown virus. And in Hebrew, it's called COVID, which means, which means honor, COVID, 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 yeah, it's the word honor, the honor of the king, the COVID, no matter how you slice it, it comes out to be the Keter, the crown. And, uh, and it's, um, and anyway, so I'm like, wow, God brought this world down to its knees, like, if, for those of you who are more hippies like me, who've like always wondered if the Western society was going to get away with all their shenanigans forever, or is God going to actually cause the judgment? You know, as we say every day in prayer, we say, and the, the, and the saved ones will, will go up to Mount Zion to judge the mountain of Asaph, the Westerners. Yeah, are the Westerners just going to get away with this forever? Like, are they, are they, are they like, I mean, how long will they walk all over everything that was good and natural and, and connective? You know, how long are they going to destroy things? So here they were brought down to their knees. You think we were brought to our knees? You think the Torah community was brought to their knees? We weren't brought to our knees. We're, our, our business is God and Torah. And that has not changed one iota. God and Torah was not, okay, we couldn't go to Minion, but, uh, you know, and God, not for a second. Was a, yeah, there was no, no one, no one was missing out on Torah. You know, the, no one was missing out on their values in the Jewish community. This, this, if anything, made it easier to connect to Torah the, and prayer. People bumped up their prayer a lot because, you know, sometimes if you pray with a minion every single day, it becomes like a conveyor belt. You forget you're doing anything in there. You know, you're just kind of riding the prayer group. And suddenly people were like praying alone. They realized, hey, I'm not even praying. Like, what have I been doing the last 20 years? So it, it's been only a good thing for, for spirituality and Judaism. Spirituality in general has been good. But the, um, so, so what I wanted to share with you is while I was bending my knees, it took me a while to do this because I was bending my knees in the middle of praying. But when I said, I thought how God's brought everyone to their knees. And I said, oh my gosh, what is the numerical value of Korim? 
And I did the math, and the math was kaf is 20. I'm not sure if I spell it right, but kaf is 20. Resh is 200. That's 220. Are you doing the math for me, Michael? Kaf is 20. Resh is 200. That's 220. Ayin um, is 70, so that's 290. Yud is 10. Mem is 40. What did we get to? 40, 10, 70, 220. No, we weren't at 220. Uh, oh, there's a Vav. It's Kaf Vav. Kaf Vav, that's 26. Rash is 200, 226. Ein is 70, that's 296. 296. Right? And then, uh, and then, uh, yeah, that's it. And then two ninety six plus ten yud is two, is uh, three oh six, and mem is forty three forty six. We're there. Yeah, it's 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 three to be brought to your knees is three forty six. The same numerical value of desire and his name, which is the point of it all, is to be brought to your knees. Wait, Meaning, it's the the numerical, the, the numerical value of of desire, Ratzon, his name, Shmo, and Korim are all 346. Hey, Barish, nice to see your face. They're all, yeah, you heard this one, you heard this, Shiri? You heard me give this over before? Or just now? Just now? Pretty crazy, right? You like that, Barish? Cool, very cool. Welcome back, by the way. How was, Thanks. how was, What's that? Day 13 of quarantine. Oh, Baruch Hashem, Mazel tov. So that's where you've, been, where you've been all this time. Mm-hmm. Welcome back. We're really happy you're back. You want to come for Shabbos? Shabbos this week already? Why not? You're free. You might as well drink good beer with me. Sounds great. Only the finest. So check with your wife and send me a WhatsApp. About that, okay. Uh, I was just on the phone with Rummy quite a bit today. Okay, so anyway, that's basically the idea. What I wanted to share with y'all. Okay, let's let's get a question. Anyone got a question? Alicia, I like your questions. What do you got? Oh, we see that. Let me check the chat real quick. I see uh, Michael's Michael's all over the chat. Something about the Shabbos. Um. So you said the seventh day, honor the day, makes it holy, respect all time. The respect for rest, what is, for rest, what is a further understanding beyond the application of Shabbos? Yeah, so, um, anyway, um, resting, uh, so the, the idea of resting on Shabbos is, is the, You'll, you'll notice that the 39 malachas, Barish, tell me if I'm wrong on this one, that the, every single malacha of the 39 things, meaning that there are 39 principal labors we're not allowed to do. But w- what, what do they all have in common? Meaning there's got to be something we can learn from all 39 that God's trying to tell us what not to be doing. So what do they all have in common? So what they all have in common is manipulating matter. Every one of them is a manipulation. Like, for example, in Daf Yomi, we just got finished with... Uh, with the uh, with eleven chapters of Hotza, 
Hotsa is, what's Hotsa? It's one of the 39. It's to move something that was, when Shabbos came in, it was there. And then you moved it there. Meaning you can move stuff in a private domain, but a public domain, you don't mess with stuff. If it's there, you leave it there. Don't mess with it. You know, you can't carry it more than a couple feet in any direction, but don't go beyond that. And the, and don't take something from a private domain to a public domain. You know, it was there at sundown. Don't mess with it. Don't manipulate. Raw food, you're not allowed to cook it. An off, something off, you can't turn on. Something on, you can't turn off. Okay, everything, the final hammer blow is taking something that's almost ready, but it's not quite ready, but one more hit and it's ready. You know, that's one of them. You know, so, so every one of these things is manip- a manipulation of some sort. So, so what is Shabbos? What is the rest on Shabbos? The rest on Shabbos is to, to take your sticky fingers, your manipulating fingers, get your mitts out of creation for 24 hours. One day where you're not manipulating the world around you. You're letting the world be what it is. Yeah, you got you got the picture? Letting the world be. Let it be. And and then when you let it be, so something amazing happens. So here's the thing is uh is uh sometimes I sometimes in my old days when there used to be something called outreach. Remember outreach bears? So <laughs> Like, like 80 buses pu- pulled up to Zion Gate with 500, you know, or f- 500, like 3,000 secular kids dancing their hearts out at the Kotel Friday night, you know. But uh, anyway, but the back in the days of outreach, so I used to, sometimes I'd walk into a whole room of people on Shabbat and, you know, I'm supposed to like somehow turn them on to Shabbat and uh, r- walk into a room filled with people and I'd say to them, you people, you love restrictions. And, you know, it's a whole American group. To Americans, restrictions are just un-American. You know, <laughs> you, you love restrictions. And they're like, no, we don't love restrictions. I'm like, yes, you do. You love restrictions. For example, all the women in this room. Yeah, if you have a boyfriend, would you like him to, rest- if you're eating a meal with him, would you like to restrict what he looks at during the meal? especially your waitress. Yeah. How would you like that to be restricted? And, uh, and how about the rest of you? You all love movies, right? Yeah. How would you like, uh, how would you, do you appreciate that people turn their phones off? Like that's a restriction, isn't it? Like, Hey, don't restrict me, man. This America. I want my phone on. I'm in fact, I'm going to be on the phone the whole, the whole movie, you know? So, so we actually love restrictions because listen to this. There's a, new, a definition of restrictions most people would never think of. Is, is restrictions create the environment or the potential for something to occur. You need restrictions for something to occur. So like if you look at the studio I'm in, it's covered with restrictors. So the sound doesn't bounce around too much in here. So we really get the purest reading of the, of the piano or the guitar you know, we, we want the, we want the best, the best as the highest fidelity of sound to hit our microphones here. And so we got to restrict the sound to get the ultimate sound in here. You know, maybe it's an American, should I tear off all the, uh, tear off all the soundproofing here? It's like, it's too restrictive, you know? And, uh, and so we, we have a, 
we have a negative relationship with restriction, but restriction actually is your best friend. Restriction is everything. And also, like, you you can't really have a relationship with God without restriction. Like, let's say, for example, no mitzvahs at all. You're just going to meditate. <laughs> well, you definitely want to restrict that situation. You know, you don't, you don't want a bunch of noise, first of all. You don't want to get interrupted. You know, when I tell my kids it's meditation time, they know... They're not coming in. I don't, even, I don't even have to lock my door of my meditation room. I just, I can leave it open. I've already let them know that it's a restricted area right now. So, so the, so restriction is just anything special requires restriction. And obviously the sanctity of marriage requires tremendous restriction. If you want to have that kind of sanctity between you and your spouse to a point of, of creating a, a you know a, a what's called a mikdash laat a miniature uh, beta mikdash between the two of you, well you better have that highly restricted in how you're interacting with the others, how you dress, everything should have uh, should have your everything's with the sanctity of the relationship in mind, and that's all restrictions. So we're cool with restrictions. We love to have restrictions on highways. I I'm very happy they paint lanes, you know. Lanes are good. I've I've driven in Mexico with no no painted lanes on five lane five six seven eight lane highways, you know, and no no lanes. That's crazy, you know, and uh, so lanes, you know, maybe maybe lanes are un-American, you know, maybe we should get rid of lanes. So you should get rid of the dollar bill. It's racist. It's got what's his name on it, George. Uh, uh, George Washington. Oh, don't tell me they're going after the bills now, too. Right? No, no, no. I said they're all racist, so give me here. If you don't want it, you can give me Franklin, you can give me all of them, and I'll put them in a pile and deal with them. It's okay. <laughs> What's the next trick? Do they not have any black people on money in America? No. No. Uh, well, I have a feeling okay. there's, there's going to be soon. Give it some time. Yeah. They're going to create a $2 bill. Or a yeah. three one. Yeah. Uh, do, do they make fifty dollar bills? They make fifty dollar bills. Yeah, yeah. It's called a fifty. That'd probably be the right bill for that. So, listen, um, everybody. What's uh, uh, Alicia? I'm waiting for your questions. You asked all those great Kabbalistic questions yesterday. Well, I had a question. I actually posted it in the chat. This time it wasn't Kabbalistic. Oh. But, um, but I was just wondering if you think that um, that America will be going into civil war over what's happening. Um, so uh, it, there's no way to answer that question until the election. So, so <laughs> if Trump wins the election, you'll have a PTSD There will probably be a civil war. If the Democrats win the election, there will probably be a civil war. But, but if the Democrats win the election, it's less likely um, that there will be a civil war. There will probably be some radical uh, moments, you know, like because those white supremacists are like starting to ram crowds and stuff. So, yeah. you know, but there are very few of those people. Most conservatives, why are they called conservative? Because they're sensible. Yeah. So they're, they're less likely to create a civil war. Um, however, the other side seems to have no rules at all. And and I really believe deep down, and not just because I heard Candace Owens speak, but I really believe deep down that uh, that the Democrats have pawned 
off the black community yes. to, for their own for their own selfish um, ends. You know, they Absolutely. they use that community community and and it and frankly to me it's insulting that um, uh, it's insulting that they would do that. Um, our job is to take people who have who to take people who are um, maybe uh, lower on the on the hierarchy ladder in America as far as um, financially or educationally to raise them, not use them you know, to, for your political gains and any, anyone with a, even a medium IQ knows that the more financial stimulus there is, the better it is for the inner city black community. And, and that's, that's just the way it goes. You want, you want them filling great jobs and getting prosperous and, and you don't, you don't want, you don't, we're not looking, they don't need more handouts. That doesn't help them very well. Just like handouts, I mean, how good are handouts for you? You know, Alicia, does it help you to get handouts? Is that building your character? Uh, bearish handouts building you? Yeah, not really. Awful. Not really. Handouts don't build nobody. You know, and, and I and I can tell you, growing up in a mansion, that uh, only through my father's bankruptcy did I even get to Israel. But growing up like that was disastrous for my character. You know, this almost destroyed me. Yeah, and um, and I, I uh, the only thing that's built me was was having to having to be real and and uh, honest and you know and have to develop myself because they're they're you know <laughs> my dad's money was like it was like wallpaper you know you could just cover up anything on the wall with it you know you have no idea how many times he bailed me out of things. You know, it was crazy. Even grades, like, like he literally paid off teachers when I was in, uh, you know, like all the years, you know, seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, tenth grade, you know, he would just pay off my teachers. And because, uh, meaning if it wasn't a big surf semester that year, the waves weren't very big. So I did fine. But if the waves were really big that semester, you know, winter semesters, the waves are always bigger. And that, so my father had to bring out the wallpaper you know, and cover up that stuff. The one thing that's amazing is um, about parents with money is that they can cover everything up, but the one thing that they can't cover up is the, an intimate relationship with their children. And if they don't forge it, the kids, you know, no money can pay for that. That is, that's the heart, not the dollar. Yeah, that's the heart. And if par parents can't whitewash that one, that's got to be... And boy, <laughs> I have seen some kids teach their parents some lessons on that one, you know, take their parents to task or like, you know, disappear for a month and come back a woman, <laughs> like, oh you know, just anything to get back at their parents. Oh and, uh, and, you know, people really will go after their parents on that from resentment because they, oh, by the way, parents think they can whitewash it with nannies and, you know, babysitters and. You know, just 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 getting their kids kind of covered up, and the uh, but kids tend to uh, expose their parents at some point or another. Magazines are full of famous people whose kids are exposing them everywhere, and and you know, the, so it's really important that our characters. This is a little different in the observant community. Parents are better at this because the value of family is so high. 
that that as much as a wealthy man might have made money the main value, well, it's it's definitely neck and neck with family, you know, if not if not even a little behind family. So they do take family very seriously, most of most of them. Um, uh, but definitely, if you ever wind up helping a kid of a wealthy person, don't feel bad taking a lot of money for it. So the, uh, you know, the, because you're considerate true. I know a kid, I know a kid that was um, so badly abandoned by his, his, uh, his tycoon, you know, mega wealth father, that he only found himself at a possible youth seminar. And he finally discovered himself. And so ever since then, you know what he does? He siphons off money from his father's company and and buys scholarships so more people can do the possible you. And he he told me once, I said, you know, you're so generous. You know, anytime I need a scholarship for somebody, you you pay it. And it's not cheap. You know, it's, I mean, we're talking like, you know, it's $900 a person, you know, that this guy is forking over for scholarships. And in Israel, it's cheaper, but it's not much cheaper. It's like, I don't even know how much. I've already forgotten. It's been so long since I ran a seminar, how much they cost. But um, anyway, so I said, you know, you're so generous. He says, yeah, you know what I'm doing? He says, I'm not getting back at my father, but I'm fixing that, 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 that so much was lost on his children because of his money, you know, his, his desire to make it big, that I'm at least saving him that less children are going to be lost, as less people will be lost as a result of his money. Meaning, meaning I got lost, I found myself in my mid-twenties, and now I'm going to make sure that other people aren't lost, and I'm going to use his money to do that. And so he's helped people in great, you know, in great financial need. He's helped them be, you know, full-on participants of the seminar. You know, no one knows their, no one knows at the seminar they didn't, they didn't pay, you know. They, they, you know, he's, they sit there like every other businessman or whomever's there, or yeshiva boy in Jerusalem Center. We're about to open it up again, by the way. Bearish, we're, we're going to start a Hebrew. We're getting a ton of, <laughs> ton of calls right now for Hebrew. Every day we get a bunch of calls. So it's going to be a little weird, you know, because I don't, I don't want a room full of guys in masks. You know, masks scare me. I, I don't like masks. I hate those things. They can't even breathe through them. Yeah, well, I, I have less of a problem wearing them than seeing them. And seeing them is creepy. Everybody looks like they're going to rob a bank. <laughs> and then you walk into the bank and everybody has a mask. <laughs> so so I, have a, I have a real issue with masks. And, and I, believe, I believe that the reason, the reason I'm so freaked out by masks is because... Um, I think my fear of rejection when I was a kid, which, you know, was feel, I felt unacceptable as a child. That was my belief about myself is that I, how am I ever going to know? If, how are you ever going to know if people expect, accept you or not? How would you ever know if you're acceptable? The answer is, well, how do they look at you? What are, what's their mouth doing? You know, what are their chin muscles doing? What are their cheek muscles doing? So now I broke through all that and I created a whole seminar based on how I broke through my, my, unacceptable business but i but i can't see people with masks on i don't know where they're holding and i feel unsafe like that like i'm instantly unsafe with people and it's really weird because i'm well, these are my neighbors like i know i'm safe with them. i'm living with these guys for 25 years but i am unsafe when someone's in a mask i don't know what he's 
I don't know what he's doing regarding me. Now, of course, I know how to make the move from the possible you. I know instantly I can get myself back together. But there's, I'm just saying on a, on a very, oh gosh, a knee-jerk kind of, um, what's the right word for this? Visceral. Yeah, there's a visceral reaction I have, which is unsafe regarding how I'm doing. You know, I'm not doing, I'm not safe here in the, in the mass situation. And, uh, and it's really amazing because I've always had a terrible test around Purim time. Because what happens in Jerusalem, Purim starts like the week before. And people are walking around the streets with masks on. And I get very uncomfortable. And then I start getting this, this, uh, uh, what's the word when you got something threatening? This looming, Purim's looming now. Because there's already people walking around the streets with masks, and there's ma- and there's parties with costumes, and and a lot of people masks, and that's the way Jerusalem is, you know, a week before Purim, and and I'm like, I I have this oh dreads the word I'm looking for, I have this dread of Purim. Now that dread doesn't last that long because I'm smashed drunk within the first hour, and then it's like, you know, but so it's like. It, it doesn't matter that much, but it, it does give me a week of dread before Purim hits until, you know, until the alcohol starts taking effect. And then I'm like, you know, because we have to drink, you know, inordinate, inordinate amounts of alcohol uh, as the midst of the day. So then I, I don't care anymore about the masks. But. And I still never met anyone who has my issue here, uh, you know, right? Where they're getting this visceral re- reaction it to freaks, mass. It freaks the hell out of me. It is oh, you're also getting freaked out? So me and Michael I, I are getting freaked out. I it for one second. When I see people down the street in the open... I can understand in a store. Okay, fine. You know, you got to... Fine. But on the street with these Chinese people in their own cars with the mask, it's <laughs> like they're hiding something and ready to do something. And it's unnatural. And it's... And it's and it like suffocates you. It's not. It's not normal. It's, Plus, people are like people that. are breathing their own. People are breathing their own stuff. Their own CO2. exhaust. Yeah, yeah. and the um, and but it is a little weird when you see people in cars. They obviously don't understand what masks are for. And the uh, and they and then you. I I'm a mountain biker, so I'm out in the woods all the time. And d- during the closure, the woods were packed with hikers. Like everyone, the way out if you live anywhere near the woods, is. You know, you sneak out of your house, you're in the woods. But many of them were wearing masks in the woods. It's like, no, you don't need a mask in the woods. Yeah, there's no corona in the trees. Okay, the fear re- relax. is taking over the portion of the brain of the intellect. Yeah. Hey, Rebidson, welcome back to Israel. So, <laughs> so, um, yeah. Uh, any other questions? I actually, believe it or not, I have to go to bed at 10 o'clock each night because I'm running the possibility from, get this, 5 to 7 a.m. Israel time every day. Barish, I'm running the possibility Zoom program 5 to 7 a.m. every morning. It's crazy. It's, that's what I got to do to have a seminar for men in America. So anyway, so I got to... That's quite some... Some dedication. Yeah, I'll say, I'll say, I never dreamt I would do this. You know, I, I don't get up that early unless I'm going surfing. <laughs> okay, um, my my wife got up with me this morning. It was four thirty. You know, it's pitch black outside. And she's like, she's like, we're going skiing. 
Because that's apparently, I remember we used to get up that early to go skiing, which just seems so strange. Okay, everyone. Um, I guess if you had to drive to the slopes, the only way was to get up that time. Anyway, blessings, everybody. It was great. We didn't have a ton of questions today, but we did have a few. And uh, I embellished quite a bit on those questions. I probably answered a bunch of questions you didn't even have. Okay. Shalom, everybody. Tzlacha. Be well. Bye-bye. Thank you, Rabbi. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.